Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about helping people into authentic and significant relationship with King Jesus. Wow. Man. Anytime I speak, I'm going to take that video right there. That's pretty good. You know, I was just thinking a lot of the mission trips I took were like to Russia, Romania. He goes to Hawaii. What is up with that? That's not right. There's, there, there's no mission trip to Hawaii. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I mean, he's not going to say it, but I'm telling you. Um, I'm excited to be here. I love this church. I love being a part of what God is doing here. I'm kind of behind the scenes, but I'm very, very grateful to be here. I, I want to tell you about something that happened this morning that was pretty interesting. You know, the surf team and everybody else that's involved with setting up and doing all the, to get everything ready for you to come and have a good experience meets and has a prayer time. And there's probably 30 or 40 people that were down here this morning. We were praying and looking at things and someone very quietly said, I just have something I want to share. And she began to share and she pretty much preached the first half of my sermon. (laughs) She didn't know it. She didn't know it. And see, God has a specific thing for those of you who are here. So I'm really glad that you're here. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit is able to prepare. You know, I put on Facebook this week that I've never really preached the same sermon twice. So I always ask the Lord to show me what this group of people that are going to be, you know, in these chairs, what they want to hear and what they need to hear. And so he gave uh, me a a proverb, not a proverb, a parable right out of the Gospel of Luke. And so he told her this morning or this week that she should share a portion of that. And so I'm pretty excited about that because I know now that I'm at least I, I hit the target again and I'm excited I want to share with you, this is, we're going to be in Luke 15. If you want to turn there, I'm going to, um, going to give you some info before we actually read the text. Father, as we're opening this book, we realize this book has the power to save our lives. And this book has the ability to give us everything we need to live in this day. Lord, we're living in a time where there's conflict all over the world. We're living in a time where everything has been confused, trust has been broken, uh, right is now left, and left is now right, up is down. It's just very confusing, Lord. But we know that when we open this book, it doesn't change. And we're grateful. And so I ask that you give us grace to hear you this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do your work in the hearts of people today. I know that you've prepared this word for them And I pray that I could get out of the way and stay out of the way the whole time. Help me not get in the way of what you're trying to do and say in the hearts of people. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. As Michael said, I'm a counselor, and uh, so from time to time, I'm always reading. I read a lot, and I read read a couple of books by uh, an author named Lisa Turkhurst recently. And she wrote this, uh, I tell you, whenever I get in God's presence, this happens. I just, she wrote this statement in this book called, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And she was writing about a story, not a story, real life of what happened to her and her husband. She lost her husband to divorce and they lost their marriage after a number of years. She leads Proverbs 31 ministry out of Charlotte. It's a huge ministry, but she and her husband could not keep some things together. Basically, he couldn't. And in the book, uh, she made this statement, and I said, that's unbelievable. Listen to this. A misunderstanding about God will create a misunderstanding about your circumstances. 
a misunderstanding about who God is will create a misunderstanding about your circumstances. So if you don't understand that he is completely faithful and that he is always good, and if that hasn't sunk into your spirit, then from time to time you'll come into things that are difficult and you'll misunderstand what's going on in that set of circumstances. Most of us have an image of God as Father that has been painted by the image we had of our earthly father. The problem with this is the fall in the garden has created a distorted image of how our fathers lived. I am a father. I have two daughters. I have four grandsons. I have two son-in-laws both named John, John 1 and John 2. So if you say John, when we're all together, you could get a number of responses. So I am a father, but still, from time to time, I blew it. And from time to time, your father blew it. And if you're not careful, you will, uh, in one way, transfer what you see from him into your relationship with God as father. That's why a misunderstanding about that will then create a misunderstanding about how you live life and what happens around you. If you remember the newspaper USA Today, I don't know if anybody ever reads that anymore. I was in a hotel recently and saw, you know, used to be that was the paper you got in the lobby and there was like a stack of 20. It's like, yeah, no, I've got a phone. I can figure this out. But they did a survey recently, and they asked the question to a number of people, what is God like? And listen to these three responses. First one said, well, he's authoritarian, and he's angry at our sin. Second one said, well, he's distant. He created uh, everything, and he's a cosmic force that is uninvolved. He launched the world and then just spin and just spun it out into the cosmos and then said, I hope you make it. Some people really see God like that. 16% said he's critical and has a judgmental eye on the world and how we live, and he's not going to intervene. These are real live people that really believe this. So if you go with those perceptions, he's angry, he's uninvolved, and he's critical. Now let me give you, if you're a believer and you've had, and you've read your Bible for a while, if you stay in the Old Testament, that could be your picture. If all you read are the prophets, I mean, those guys were always speaking at difficult times, and we're, you know, like we're drawing lines in the sand, people are getting killed, stuff is happening. Yeah, he looks that way, if that's the only picture you have. Here's the deal. You have to read the Old Testament in light of the New. You have to see it through the lens of the New Testament and the New Covenant and see it through the lens of the cross, because in Romans it says, we have been saved from the wrath of God through him. So whatever you read in the Old Testament, read it in light of the New. You're looking at the Old Covenant. It's still necessary it is still needed because it points to something greater which is the new covenant that was found at the cross of grace one was law one was grace the other thing about seeing god through only the old testament is that if you focus only on behavior you will miss the point of the whole Bible. The whole Bible is meant to give you a picture that draws you into a relationship. It is not rules to teach you how to be holy only. It's meant to take you to a point of we are so needy, we have to have help. That help was found at the cross. And his name is Jesus. So you read it in light of that. So pay attention. If you only focus on behavior and not on, your, and not on your relationship, you will miss it. See, because in the Old Testament, you get a picture of who God is, but that picture is meant to also show us who we are. 
In Isaiah, it says, seek the Lord while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways. And then he says, and this is through the prophet Isaiah, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than you. You know, what's, what's really being said there, and he's prophesying to Israel who is in captivity, and what's being said is, I'm not like you. I don't treat you the way your friends treat you. I wrote down some things that are, that are different about who God is. Do you know God is happy? Do you ever see God as happy? Do you ever see him as happy? One of the verses in Psalms says, in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Oh my gosh, if anybody is happy, God is happy. I've just shaken a bunch of you up. I know that because I used to live under that bondage of the law. And when you live under do this and do that and do this and do that, that's not a happy time. All I got was no all the time. When I began to see if you get in a relationship with him, he's actually happy. Now he carries a heavy heart also. See, this would be hard to preach in the Ukraine because he carries a heavy heart for that as well but in his relationship with his people and with his body he pours out grace where it's needed he pours out sometimes comfort where he's needed sometimes he's silent where it's needed he pours out what's needed in the moment but the overall being of who he is, he's happy. Begin to relate to him that way. He's not angry. His anger was poured out on the cross. He's not angry at you. And he's certainly not uninvolved. Isaiah says, fear not for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed for I'm your God. What does he say? I will strengthen you. I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's very involved in every detail. Now, some of your details may at times get uncomfortable, but I'm telling you that doesn't mean he's not involved. It's like some of the recent songwriters, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, what? You're working. You never stop. He's very involved. He hasn't just spun the earth and dropped it out there and said, wow, I hope these guys make it. See ya. He's very involved every day in every circumstance when you have asked him into your life. Another one, he's constantly available. He is constantly available. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he told the disciples, the guys were hanging around with him, he said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you a helper. What did he say? Who will, be, who will help you and be with you and in you. So he's not uninvolved. He's with us, and he's in us. Lastly, I love this one. He is accepting and forgiving. There's nothing there's nothing on the planet that you can do that will keep him from loving you. Jeremiah, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. He doesn't have a list. He doesn't have a list. He even said, I will remember their sins no more. And that verse was so significant that the writer of Hebrews quoted it in Hebrews 12. Just to make sure we get it. It's two places. It's actually Hebrews 8 verse 12. He said, I'll remember their sins no more. Because he doesn't have a list. You go and talk to him about sins from three weeks ago and he scratches his head. Guys, think about that. Because if you see him and you're waiting on the last shoe to drop, you're waiting on him to say, you know what, that's it. 
I've been walking with you for 40 years. I've been keeping you out of your mess. I've been trying to keep you sane. You know what? Go ahead. He's never going to do that. He doesn't, he doesn't live that way. In his existence, his existence has love and acceptance in it. He is just different. I want to talk to you now out of this parable in Luke 15. And, and I want you to have what I just gave you as a backdrop for this parable. It's Luke 15. This is uh, the third of two other parables in this chapter. There was the lost sheep and the lost coin. All three of them are pointing to the same thing. Here's the deal about a parable. A parable was used to influence and challenge the thinking of that culture. And watch this. It only has one point. It answers one question. All parables... One question. Remember the parable of the sower? That's not about gardening. It usually only answers one big point and makes one big point. And this parable makes one big point over and over and over. Parables are extended figures of truth that are used to answer a truth or a question. And here's something that's interesting. This, this parable... Uh, lost sheep, lost coin, and now we're going to look at the lost son. It's always tagged the prodigal son. And the word prodigal means wasteful or recklessly extravagant. We always tie that to the amount of sin that the, that the son that ran away committed. We always tie the word prodigal to that. This parable is about the wasteful, lavish love of God the Father. This whole parable is about the Father. It's not about the Son. And if you get that, you, it changes the way you see this. Because most of us have said, I am the prodigal. We say that. We prayed about prodigals earlier this morning. Because it's a form of understanding in this culture that we use to communicate. And I'm not saying that's a bad prayer because it communicates the truth. But this parable in these red letters right here in this chapter is about the love of the Father that is poured out that is greater and bigger than anything we've ever experienced ever, anywhere with any other person ever. I love this. I love that when I saw this in my office, I was like, yes, sir, I can preach that one right there. <laughs> so here's the prodigal. We're going to read out of Luke 15, and, and um, I love you, but I'm going to read this whole thing. I just think it's a powerful text. Luke 15, verse 11, this English Standard Version, I don't know what you have. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Some translations say my inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered the property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough, but I perish here with hunger? I know, I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said, bring quickly the, the best robe, put it on him, 
Put a ring on his hands, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and got near the house, and he heard all the music and dancing. He called one of his servants and said, what is all this? And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back and he's safe and sound. But the brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and said, and entreated him or asked him to come in. And he answered, he said, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive he was lost, and now he was found. Completely different story when you see it through the eyes of the Father. I want to talk about that for just a little bit. I believe this parable gives us four pictures of what the Father is like. The first one is, our Father needs our engagement when we need and are trying to change. He needs my engagement when he's trying to do something in me. Verse 17 says, when he came to himself, or when the son came to himself. That's the key in this picture. He came to himself. Look, in Philippians it says real simply, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. The reason Paul wrote that is he's speaking to the idea that we're leaning on a shovel praying for a hole. (laughs) Dig the hole. Just dig the hole. Get involved. Paul says, work out your salvation. It's not that salvation is works. We know it's a gift. We know there's nothing we can do to earn it. And I'm not saying that. I am saying, though, that for us as believers to grow in any measure in a deep way, we have to be involved in the process. I found it very interesting here that the father, you know, in the other two parables, the coin and the sheep, the lost sheep, the father went out or the person went out. The father stayed on the porch with this one. He didn't go searching for this son because sometimes he will wait until a deeper lesson can be learned as we begin to get engaged in what's happening. He will let you eat food that is not good until you realize there's a different way to live. And I can tell you as a father, it is hard to not go after everybody. I have people that leave my counseling office that I want to go home with. I want to go home and say, let me show you some more. Let me help you some more. But see, to do that would make it about me. I need people to go home and go to their real father. I have to be waiting on the porch. Because sometimes he waits on the porch. Sometimes he doesn't come after us. I wrote this statement down. God will limit himself. God will limit himself by respecting his decision to give us choice. He gives us choice. And his decision to give choice restrained himself. I know a lot of you 
And I know a lot of your lives, but I also know that the people who really change and the people who really grow are people who engage. There are people who will, who, who will stay at a point where they don't engage, and when that happens, the Father will wait because He's after a deeper lesson in our lives. By not jumping in, He is giving us the chance to learn things at a deep level. Some things can only be learned with you and Jesus. At one point in my life, I had someone tell me I was very, very controlling. I had a couple of options. Well, I actually had probably three options. One, I could have just hit them. <laughs> Two, I could have gotten all big and said, that's not possible. And fortunately, by God's grace, I said, if that's the case, if I am a controlling man, I don't want to live that way. That's called coming to your senses. That's God reaching in and saying, that just doesn't look good on you. That's just not the best way to live. And so with this son who was very well taken care of at home, goes out, he has to figure out there's a different way to live. So the first glimpse is he needs our engagement. Let me read you an interesting article. I, I get these mental health things that come across my desk and uh, in my inbox. There was a British educator who's now working at Stanford named Joe Bowler, and I'm just going to read you a, a piece of this. She's written a number of books on educational processes and a book called Limitless Mind. And one of the six keys in her book of how kids grow and develop the best is on the, the strength and the ability to struggle. As parents and teachers, we do, just, this is a quote, as parents and teachers, we do just about everything we can to make sure that children don't struggle. It turns out we're making a horrible mistake. Research shows that struggling is absolutely critical to mastery and the highest achieving per people in the world are those who have struggled the most. There's hope for us. There is, there is life found in your struggling. Neuroscientists, I love this. Neuroscientists have discovered that mistakes are helpful for brain growth and connectivity. And if we are not struggling, we are not learning. Not only is struggle good for our brains, but people who know about the value of struggle improve their learning potential. This knowledge would not be earth-shattering if it were not for the fact that we in the Western world are determined and trained to jump in and prevent learners from experiencing any struggle. An international study of, math, of mathematics teaching found that teachers in Japan put their students in a place of struggle 44% of the time. You know what's coming. They saw this less than 1% of the time in the U.S. Test scores came out two weeks ago. White House and everybody else was like in a panic because our math and reading scores are the lowest they've ever been. Why? Because if they even can't find their pencil, we go find it. If they, oh my gosh, if they don't know how to get up, we'll get them up. If they, do you understand that? And I'm not, you know, I know I'm old school. I get it. I'm 68. I get that. I came up in the generation that we worked a lot, and I still do. But I'm telling you, there is value in struggle. There is value in that thing. And as long as we are struggling as a believer, we are growing. He needs our engagement. Second thing, when we turn, he will run to us. Verse 20, 
He came to himself in verse 17, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He runs toward us when we make a turn. So even when things aren't going well, if you just make a turn and say, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing, picture him running to you. Picture him coming and saying, let me help you. Let me get behind you. Because remember, he's in us. Remember the quote from Lisa, if you misunderstand him, you'll think he's doing that to you. No, he loves us. But he loves me enough to let me learn how to do some things. And that's a powerful tool. He loves us enough to let us struggle a little bit. In uh, Romans 8, it says nothing can separate us from his love. Not possible. I had this picture as I was praying through this. I saw him coming and he he was carrying two things when he was running to the son. He was running to him with forgiveness in one hand and restoration in the other. When he comes to you, that's what he's bringing when you choose to turn. When you choose to make a change and you want to work on some things and you say, God, I don't know, but quote, if I'm a controlling man, I don't want to be like that. Help me figure this out. Help me know how to live differently so that I'm not doing that so much. Well, the first thing he did was put me in circumstances where I wanted to control. And I had to learn to say, okay, We can do that. And I learned how to follow. See, most leaders, if they're worth their salt, have been followers for a long time. You can't really lead unless you know how to follow. See, that's called positional authority, and that never changes anything or anyone. Real leadership comes from knowing how to follow first. So if you're controlling, it's not the end of the world. It's really him helping us see. I heard Levi Lusco say one time that God's no is really, no, don't do that, you'll hurt yourself. So it's not like, no, you don't get to do that. I'm going to withhold this. I don't want you happy. Because some of us see God like that. 30% of America sees him like that. But no, he's saying, no, that's not going to work for you. No. So you come to your senses and you say, I need your help here. I need you to help me. But the moment that you do that, the moment that you choose to turn, he will come running after you. I love verse 22, and this is the third glimpse. The first, first glimpse was he needs our engagement. The second one, when we turn, he runs to us. Look at 22. This is awesome. The son in 21 is saying, uh, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and on and on. He's just beating himself up with self-condemnation. Look at verse 22. The father said, go bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Third thing, our father will not listen to self-condemnation. He doesn't do that. Anyone in here ever beat themselves up after something ridiculous? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. You all would. And then I'd ask you if you didn't raise your hand why you're lying. He won't listen to it though. He doesn't remember. He doesn't remember their sin. Once we confess it, it's gone. So when this son came and obviously felt bad, he had lost everything. He had wasted all of his life inheritance. He had blown it and thrown it away. He goes to the father and somehow begins to just tell him the obvious. He's stating the obvious. And the father didn't even respond. 
You know, the word says in John, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us, but I love the second half of that verse. And to cleanse us from the unrighteousness. That word is katharizo in the Greek, and it means to remove contaminants. See, when you hold on, when you hold on to stuff that you've confessed, you're contaminating your spirit. So to, to, to carry guilt days and days and days after you've been forgiven is contaminating your spirit. Confession just removes that so that you can walk as a forgiven person. You can let his forgiveness do its work. So I'm not trying to brag about myself, but when I said, okay, if I'm a controlling man, I don't want to be there. I turned a corner. I didn't walk around daily saying, oh, be careful. Don't get near me. I'm controlling. Oh, stay away. I'm controlling. Oh, have you heard? I'm controlling. You're making an idol out of confessed sin. I just said, okay, I don't want to live that way. He came running, forgiveness and restoration in his hands. And he stopped me from being controlling. He helped me. I had to learn some things. I had a process I had to go through, but I had to learn that. And then this last glimpse, I love this last glimpse, verses 24 and 32. I love it. Our Father always celebrates when things are restored. On verse 24, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. And then in 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the fourth glimpse of who God really is, is that he celebrates over you when you turn. And let me tell you a little secret about this this other son that stayed home and worked. He was just as lost. He was lost in unforgiveness. See, that was his far country. His far country was unforgiveness. His far country was being offended. His far country was not being able to control his emotions. Because remember, the last fruit of the Spirit is what? Not God control me. God keep me from being angry. Well, just stop. It's called self-control for a reason. So this other son was lost in a far country of bitterness. And so, and you know, part of it, it's really interesting. It got so bad with that other son that he couldn't admit he had a brother. He says, this son of yours who came home. He didn't say, my brother... He said, yeah, this son of yours, you know, that son that took all your stuff and left, that one. Versus, I'm so glad my brother is safe. See, bitterness will separate you. And he was lost in another country, but living in the same. You can be lonely and mad and married, but living single in the same house. I have a phrase that I use sometimes in counseling. I say, well, that's easy. He's married, living single. You know what married, living single looks like? That means you still go out, you still do all the things, and you don't include your family, and you don't, you don't do any of the things that signify or show that there's a unity that was created at an altar when you stood in front of somebody and said, I do, I do. And that created something. And you know what it did? Your singleness was supposed to go out the door. I don't know where we were the other night. Maybe it was even last night we were with some friends and they said, yeah, we mentioned Jim and Diane. And they say, yeah, it's always Jim and Diane. I said, yeah, I'm only half of this thing. Right there. So this other son is just as lost. 
Now, if I'm the father, and I just want to talk about this as we close, because each of you have sort of identified with some of what I've said. So some of you have wondered, where is God when he doesn't really show up here and he's still waiting for me to do something? I want to give you some thoughts about how to manage it when it seems like God has stayed on the porch. First one, ask God what he's trying to show you in this process. What am I supposed to be learning here? You know, it's like when you're praying for a job change and it hasn't happened and you're getting impatient and you're getting frustrated and you're starting to pray louder and you're starting to pray longer and you're starting to get all your friends to now pray and then everything is about this whole thing of God hasn't moved. I don't know. He must be asleep. I know he must be in Hawaii with Michael. I don't know what's happening, but he's not moving. Ask him, try praying differently by saying, what are you trying to show me here? What's going on here? Secondly, stay engaged. It's so easy to doubt his love when you don't see him moving at the rate you want him to move. Just don't, don't, don't let his non-moving keep you Locked in your forcing things. Keep praying. Keep praying. When he's on the porch and you're out there, you're doing everything you need to do, just keep praying. But stay engaged. Another one, live your life. Just live your life. Don't make his not moving the center of your world. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to make your disappointments the center of your world, and they're not. Jesus is supposed to be the center, and he's working. And lastly, remember this. This one was, the Lord showed me this one years, years ago, and I say it just about every time I preach. I don't know why, but I just think it's significant. His timing is your protection. His timing doesn't mean... You are on the list today of to not get your prayers answered. Well, you know, I, I saw Rob. I know how he's living. So, well, this week, no answers. Case closed. <laughs> That's not the way he works. Yep, sorry. Check back with me Monday. Yeah, that Monday's probably not going to work for you either. That's not who God is. God is a God of love, and when you're... In that place that you aren't getting what you want, begin to talk to him about what he's trying to do in you with that process. So, the son comes home. They have a party. The other son is mad. You know, don't you want to know what happened to that other son? I mean, I've always wondered, dang it, why'd you stop there? You know, Jesus had made his point. His point is, you can be, if I can make this a little bit more my picture than his, you can be hanging around in the church and be in a far country. Or you can leave and be at the beach every Sunday and be in a far country. The church doesn't save you but the church is a great place to grow up as a believer. In either extreme of lostness is just as damaging because it keeps us from that rich relationship with him. And that's what we're after. Wouldn't you agree? Isn't that what you're after? You wouldn't have got up and come out here today just without wanting something to happen in your life. So I guess I, I just have one question and, I wanna, and then I want to pray for you. What is your far country? What is your far country? Are you lost in offense or unforgiveness somewhere? Do you have some kind of addiction maybe that's hidden that you wish wasn't there and you've been fighting forever? 
Do you have regrets of a difficult past? Do you have you wandered off into a flat and detached place with God? Sometimes we do that. I don't know if you've done that. Pandemic, I did that a little bit. I hated it. But I just couldn't connect. Any of those places can be a hindrance. But you got to remember, as soon as you come to yourself and say, yep, that's me, what am I doing here? What does he do? He comes running to you, what's he got? Forgiveness, restoration. He brings those to you. That's the great, and that's, that's what Jesus was talking about. The lost sheep, we're glad he's home. The lost coin, we're glad we found it. The lost sons, I'm bringing them back to home. That's the point of that whole parable. It's not about how much sin can you do in six months. So if you've got a far country that is hanging around inside of you, um, I'm, I want to pray for you. And what I'm going to do, we're going to do ministry time a little bit different. I wanted to ask if the, those who are scheduled to be on the ministry team today, if you would come up here, I'm going to pray for the larger group, and then we're going to be released, and you can pray. So if you're on the ministry team, could you make your way up here? While that's happening, I have two questions for you. What is your far country? And only you know. And secondly, what are you waiting on now? Maybe you don't have a far country, but maybe you're waiting on God for something. If you're in a place where you're willing to, to graciously and honestly say, I've got a far country that I'm kind of hanging around in, I'd like to pray for you, but I don't know if you're here or not other than to ask you to stand. If that's where you are, would you stand? If you have a place where you feel like you're in a far country and something has separated you, okay, I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody or anyone other than Jesus. This is your, I'm coming to grips with where I am. Now there's another group of you that you may be waiting on something. You may be waiting on a son or daughter that's not there. I'd like to pray for you. If you're waiting on something, I want you all to stand. Just remain standing, and I'm just going to hit both of these, and then we'll be done. So if, if you stood because of a far country or a place where you've kind of lost, I want to give you about 10 seconds to just tell the Lord, and all you need to do is say, I'm really sorry for where I am, and I need your help. That's all I'm asking you. You don't need to say it out loud, but you need to say, I'm really sorry. I need your help. Because that's what the son did when he came home. Father, these friends are standing because they have recognized themselves. And I thank you that you come <clears throat> And I thank you that you're a God that comes with forgiveness and restoration. And I pray today that you would break off of them everything that has kept them in this place. Every attitude. Give them the strength to forgive. Give them the courage to walk past an offense. Or give them help. If there's an addiction involved, help them to know what steps to take to try to deal with it. Lord, if there are regrets of a difficult past, I pray that you would show them that you have removed that as far as the east is from the west when they accepted you. Give fresh forgiveness into these homes today, Lord. Lord, if they're just flat, I pray that you'd renew their hearts and renew their faith in Jesus. And Father, I just ask that you pour over them right now. 
And in Jesus' name, I just declare that every one of you who have confessed something, that God will forgive you and cleanse you. If you have confessed something, He will do that. And so I encourage you, don't beat yourself up any longer. Let's leave it in this auditorium this morning. Let's leave it here today. I declare you're forgiven in Jesus' name. Secondly, if you're waiting on someone right now, Father, I pray that you would encourage these who are waiting. Encourage these who are waiting on children whose hearts are far from you and their heart, and as a parent, their hearts are broken. Lord, we trust you. We trust that you can intervene in the life of a kid at any point. And we're asking that you do that in Jesus' name. We're asking for your timing. We're asking that they don't miss one lesson. And we're asking that you show us how to wait graciously in the name of Jesus. Help us to know how to wait graciously on you. And at the same time, we want all your will to be done. God, I release these people in Jesus' name to you. And I thank you that you can do for us what only you can do. And there's some things we can't do for each other. Provide supernaturally all that's needed here in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, now as we go, we thank you for this parable. We thank you that it keeps us from being confused about who you are. I pray for circumstances that may be confusing, that you would clear those up. And we just honor you today. We honor you for being able to be under your word and allowing it to do its work. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. If you would like someone else to pray for you specifically and more privately, these guys are here and they're up here for that express purpose. Thank you for your attention and being so gracious to me. And I hope you have a great day. Remember, God's happy. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.